What a wonderful time of year. I hope you're getting some of your shopping done. Get it done early, which I never do. Get it done with Steel Products. S-T-I-H-L. Tell you all the time about uh, Steel Products. They're the best in the business at making your property sensational. And they have all kinds of sales going on right now. Go to steeldealers.com. Again, S-T-I-H-L. You'll find the nearest dealer uh, very close to your home, I'm sure, because there's more than 10,000 around the country. Steel USA is where you go and can peruse so many of the wonderful items that they have. How about this? An electric vacuum to clean the garage. You know what? I've done this before. You need one of those power vacuums? They have it. They're on sale right now at Steel. How about the GTA 26 Garden Pruner? That's on sale as well through Christmas. All these sales going on through Christmas. So go right now. The leaves are off the trees, maybe completely off the trees, depending where you live. Get a blower. Get the BGA 57. It's a handheld blower. I have one of these. Um, right now, it's on sale for $179.99, and this comes with uh, the battery and the charger. If gas is uh, your preferable route, they have those as well for $169.99. They'll clean up the yard. They'll make everything easy. I was telling you, I was using it to blow snow through the walkway uh, recently, so it is multi-purpose. Chainsaws galore. Listen. Make that significant other in your family really happy. Go to Steel this holiday season. Again, all kinds of great deals going on right now. Steel, S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, the Texas Rangers win their first World Series. Texas never lost a road postseason game. Pretty extraordinary stuff. Part two of Drew's conversation with Rocky skipper Bud Black, talking about some of the bright spots going into next spring. And in regards to Nolan Jones, just tried like Texas to make our team. We got to know him. There's a component of him wanting to, to do well and succeed, but he wants us to win. And major sports transactional blunders. Is it getting worse? Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell your agent. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. And their 63rd season. Welcome in, everybody, to show number 226, and the Texas Rangers are world champions of baseball. They win tonight 5 to nothing over the Arizona Diamondbacks in a ball game that was terrific. I mean, they didn't have a hit till the seventh inning against Zach Gallen. So many missed opportunities that I know Arizona's going to lament throughout the offseason. Early in that baseball game against Nathan Avaldi, they could never get the big hit. The heck with the big hit. All they needed was a, a productive out on a couple of occasions to take uh, an early lead and uh, back the pitching of Zach Gallen. Ultimately, Corey Seager, who's the MVP for the second time of his career in his career of a World Series. He was uh, the World Series MVP with the Dodgers, of course, in 2020. He gets the first hit, and uh, a couple hits later, it's one to nothing Texas, and then they blow it open with four runs in the ninth inning. And ultimately, it's a, a four to one series victory to capture the first World Series for the Texas Rangers. For Bruce Bochy, his fourth world championship, you got to give him uh, 
uh, a ton of credit uh, over the long haul. I never believe I talked about this last week that it's that that you outmanage somebody typically in one game or even in a series of games. Tori Luvello, uh, his guys love to play for him. Guys who've played for Bruce Bochy, going all the way back to the Padre days, certainly in San Francisco, and now this year with San Francisco uh, with Texas, they love to play for him. He he's a an easy guy to play for. Um, and you have to have the horses. And Texas won this series because they got more big hits. Corey Seager, early in that series, uh, you know, in game, you know, game one goes differently if uh, he doesn't tie up the baseball game with one out. And then they win in extra innings. Arizona wins that game. I'm not saying they ultimately win the series, but you're probably going to have at least a sixth game, uh, if not potentially a, a seventh game. And amazingly, uh, Texas never lost a road postseason game. Pretty extraordinary stuff. Uh, They were a team that um, overcame a couple of injuries late. Adolis Garcia, who would have been a candidate, maybe the leading candidate to be the World Series MVP, uh, goes down with the oblique strain. And uh, Seager ends up uh, winning, as I said, for the second time. And I know you're going to read here in the next 48 hours that this was one of the lowest rated World Series ever. My initial reaction to that, and when it's been brought up that the games have been poorly rated, I could care less. That's my reaction. If you love the game, if you appreciate the game, you can appreciate that these two teams deserve to be there. Certainly Texas was a a team that got there and it was not unexpected given their payroll. Arizona, it was unexpected. Um, We talked a little bit about this the last few weeks. It gives hope to teams like the Rockies that you don't have to have a four, five, six-year process to turn it around. More typically, it does take a long time to turn things around when you've lost 100 games as the Rockies have, but... Very recently, Texas lost 100-plus games. Arizona, same deal. Baltimore, a team that uh, you know wins the American League East this year, just a couple years removed from losing uh, over 100 games. So uh, that does give one hope. In terms of ratings, ratings are completely different in this day and age. So many people have cut the cord. Uh, the Nielsen ratings don't capture the full audience of how people view sporting events. And yes, it was not two massive markets. It was not New York, Los Angeles. It wasn't even Houston, New York. It wasn't Houston, LA. But that's okay. Uh, Baseball, day to day throughout the season, needs to continue to grow the game, to promote their stars. They are doing a much better job of that. But there's so much competition for your entertainment dollar now. And and the, the only sport that just kills it every year is football. Used to be said, you know, if you want to learn a lot about the average American you know, go go to a baseball game. Um, I, I think that still holds some merit. But if you were 
indoctrinating somebody from a faraway land to our country and wanted to give them a quick education, you would say, you know what? Saturdays with college football, Sundays with the National Football League, really important to a massive amount of people in our country. And baseball is still known as the national pastime, and it's played day in and day out for six months, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't carry the same weight that perhaps it did 50 years ago. That's okay. Things evolve. It's still a great game. I think they made great improvements on the game, and I thought um, the World Series and the postseason in general had a lot of compelling moments. So once again, congratulations to the Texas Rangers. And oh, by the way, I wanted to mention this. John Gray, feel great for John Gray. He He's going to get a ring. John Gray uh, had two really nice moments, one in particular when he threw the three uh, shutout innings uh, two games ago in the World Series and looked so comfortable and it reminded me of some of his best games with the Colorado Rockies when he had the mid to upper 90s fastball and the wipeout slider and he had the focus and he, again, was so composed out there. And uh, John's a great young man. And there are there are guys you come in contact with doing what I do that you really pull for. And John Gray is one of those guys. I felt that way when he wore a Rockies uniform. And now from afar with the Rangers, really pleased for him. Really pleased for him. And he had a big part in, uh, in that uh, World Series for Texas. I saw where, I believe it was on Tuesday of this week, for just the, was it like the 19th or 29th time ever, there was a game, it had to be Monday, there was an NFL game, Major League Baseball being played, hockey being played, and the NBA being played on the same date. Pretty cool stuff. This is a, a, a great time to talk about what teams do when they face adversity. We always talk about it uh, in every sport. Uh, your football team, whatever team wins the Super Bowl, they're going to do it minus a couple of key players, guys that went down during the regular season, maybe guys that go down in the midst of a playoff run. But it's uh, it's been interesting to see how uh, Major League Baseball teams, the two finalists, have overcome and uh, gotten to their point. I'll, I'll let you behind the curtain a little bit. Marky and I, who Marky's kind of a slash producer, editor, and, and confidant on this show, and has been with me from day one, going back almost, what is four and a half years now. And we chat uh, during the week and, and leading up to when I record the show. And uh, Marky always asks good questions. He's a big sports fan, naturally. And uh, one of the questions that we uh, that was posed this week, I thought, I said, man, pose that on the show. So here you go. I'm wondering, Drew, are we getting to a tipping point with what we have in sports management with the number of massive gaffes that we've seen? Uh, just in the recent, you know, memory, the Cleveland Browns signing Deshaun Watson, which everybody knew that was a bad idea except them. You look at the the Raiders, who are now paying two coaches to sit at home, um, and then on, on conversely, you look at how 
The Diamondbacks have done it for a tidy little budget. The Nuggets were able to grow, homegrown, you know, grow their talent at home without sending massive amounts. Of, of course, they have Supermax players, but they didn't go try to build a super team. Could we soon see a tipping point in sports where teams stop making these ridiculous moves? Yeah, I, I look at some of the things going on in sport, and this is not just baseball. This is this is across the board. It's fascinating topic for me. Josh McDaniels, for instance, the former Bronco coach uh, more than a decade ago, albeit briefly fired in his second season, was just fired in his second season uh, as the Raider coach. Remember, he had also turned down the Colts. He, he had taken the job and then turned it down. Remember that? I, I, you just got me going, Marky, because I think about these long-term contracts, particularly in baseball, nine, ten years for you know, 250, 300, 300 plus million dollars. And sometimes they work initially, uh, but oftentimes they become an albatross to an organization, especially when it comes to a pitcher in baseball. I just don't know how you can do that. And yet year in and year out, we see so many gaffes made by general managers in every sport. So now if you're the Raiders, I'll talk about the Raiders for a second. You're paying, as you said, Mark, you're paying two different coaches, John Gruden. You're paying McDaniel. I don't know what they got out of the Gruden deal when they when they let him go. I think it was in a lawsuit. But anyhow, you have two guys that aren't working for you that are making substantial amount of money. I don't know if Mike Mayock, their former general manager, had time left on his contract. I suggest he probably did. We are so quick to fire guys too. Think about Detroit and give them some credit because the first two years under Dan Campbell, they didn't win a lot of games. You know what they are their last 21 as we tape? They're 17 and four. They showed patience. They felt like they had the right guy. And now it's bearing fruit. Typically, when you go out and hire a new coach, we'll talk about coaches here, you're hiring a new coach because your situation is not very good. And therefore, it's not going to be an overnight success once you hire that coach. How about exhibit some patience, number one. Going back to those big, lengthy and, and again, in baseball, we see it a lot, those contracts. At some point in time, you have to pump the brakes. And maybe it'll always be hard to do because there will always be that one owner, typically in a huge market, says, I don't care, we'll pay 10 years for Corey Seager. And right now, it looks like a great deal. Seager's been sensational. We'll pay... 10 or 12 years, whatever it was for Mike Trout, who's, you know, an all-time great. Remember the Albert Pujols deal? Who's an all-time, all-time great? Tremendous in St. Louis. He was just okay with the Angels. They finally let him go. Then he went to the Dodgers, and ultimately, as you know, he came back and, and had that final nice run with the Cardinals. These long-term deals typically are not Good. And I look at the breakdown of the Rangers 
and the Diamondbacks, the two finalists in Major League Baseball this year, and how their teams were built. The Rangers were awful a couple of years ago, and they went out and they spent a lot of money. They went and got Seager, 10 years, $325 million. And so far, um, when healthy, he, he's been great. Obviously, he's been great. I don't know what it'll look like six years from now if you still go, oh, boy. You know, was there a way to get him for five years and half the amount of money? I don't know. Jacob DeGrom famously signs five years, $185 million. What did he, he, he threw like three innings this year, and then he had, unfortunately, Tommy John surgery. The other guy they went out and got a couple of years ago, they changed, you know, got two really good talents in the middle infield, Marcus Simeon, seven years and $175 million. That one's at least a little more palatable. I mean, seven years, you can see the end. $175 million, a lot of money, but it's not 10 years and 300-plus. Um, Nathan Uvalde, who's been such a great postseason pitcher, he's on a two-year $34 million deal. Here's a player option in year three. John Gray, the erstwhile Rocky, and we're all thrilled for John. John's such a good guy, and, and it pitched really well in the postseason. Uh, he's in year two of a $56 million deal. That's that's a controllable deal. That's a good deal. Four years, $56 million. Again, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel with those deals. Arizona is fascinating. I mean, they kind of support the point I'm making, that you don't have to necessarily go these super long-term deals for these guys that uh, oftentimes you're paying for what they did in the past and not necessarily what they're going to do in the future. Arizona, the biggest deal they have on their books is Cattell Marte, who's a terrific player. Speaking of a guy having a, a wondrous postseason, Marte's on a five-year, $76 million deal, year one of it. It's been great. Merrill Kelly, who is kind of the co-ace, if you will, with Zach Gallon, Two-year, $24 million deal. Christian Walker's on a one-year, $6.5 million deal. Tommy Pham acquired from the Mets, one-year, $6 million deal. Lourdes Gurriel, he's going to be a free agent. He's on a seven-year, $22 million deal originally signed when he came from Cuba uh, with Toronto. Gallon is still arbitration eligible. This year he's playing for, for 5.6. Even a, a longtime veteran who's had a, a borderline Hall of Fame career, who's had a, a tremendous career, Evan Longoria. He had been at the end of a I think $131 million deal. He leaves San Francisco, and Arizona signed him, and he lives in Arizona, signed him for one year, $4 million. You know, not a lot of money by, again, by professional sports standards. So Arizona, and, and the the interesting one they, they did was signing the, the 21, 22-year-old Corbin Carroll to an eight-year, $111 million deal. And it, it's a, if he performs as he's done all this year and through the postseason, it looks like it's going to be a win financially uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they control him for a long time. And for Corbin Carroll, ton of money. And at the end of his deal, he'll still be a relatively young man, right around 29, 30 years of age. And if he continues along this path, he can, you know, break the bank down the road. So a kind of a, a savvy 
move by Arizona. It looks that way right now because Carroll looks like the real deal. He's going to be the National League Rookie of the Year. And and, uh, at least the first half of the year, he was an MVP candidate. He's going to get a lot of MVP votes. Not going to win it, but he'll get a lot of MVP votes. And so it's interesting to see how those two teams were comprised. Um, you know, but getting back to Markey's original question, um, there are there are mistakes made so frequently by management, and they're repeated in all of the sports, whether it's contracts, whether it's the signing of a coach and then dismissing the coach, you know, literally a year and a half in. It's mind-boggling to me. I got another one. I got another one. The infatuation with James Harden who now got his wish and moved from Philadelphia to the Los Angeles Clippers. James Harden's a great talent. He's had some great individual years. Has he ever won? Same thing. I throw Kyrie Irving in that. Great talent. They're never happy, seemingly. They're always disgruntled and always want to be somewhere else. So now he's with the Clippers. And I can guarantee you one thing. The Clippers now will not win a championship. And sure as shit, I hope not, because they're in the same uh, conference as the Nuggets. Love to see the Nuggets repeat like all of you. He's also back with Russell Westbrook. You can say what you want about Russell Westbrook, but that guy always plays hard. Plays his tail off. May not be a great perimeter shooter, but every night you know you're going to get the absolute best out of Russell Westbrook. And Westbrook... If you recall, you know, when he played in the past with Harden, wasn't always pleased with Harden. Harden, I guess, made it a habit of showing up when he wanted to for buses, for planes. It was it was really at his discretion when the, uh, the, the team uh, bus would leave, the team plane would leave. He don't play that, talking about Westbrook, nor should anybody. One thing I've seen being in professional sports for, you know, three and a half decades. If the bus is at four o'clock, the good organizations, they don't wait on anyone. And I've seen players left behind. Doesn't happen much because if you're running it right, you know, you got to get on that bus by four o'clock or you got to be, you know, at the team plane because the team plane's leaving at two in the afternoon. I don't care who you are. So that'll be interesting. Marky, good question, man. Uh, appreciate it. I, I keep thinking other ones. You mentioned Deshaun Watson, by the way. I mean, I know that goes back a couple of years. With all that baggage, and you give him a guaranteed deal? It's crazy. But that's, I guess, professional sports. Professional sports uh, is crazy. The Broncos. See that one coming? Beating the Chiefs? Beating the Chiefs in the manner they did? Was that more good on Denver or bad on Kansas City? Probably a combination thereof. But you give the Broncos credit. And you know what? People wanted Vance Joseph's head a few weeks ago. And it's always to me about the players for the most part. But this is a team that gave up an embarrassing 70 points down in Miami. And the last few weeks, they've been good. And and they... They got after Patrick Mahomes. The secondary was good. The pass rush now with Browning healthy and Benito. You understand why they let Gregory go. It's been good. 
And um, I will say this. What, what, one more note before I uh, get to this other point. Russell Wilson, I know he only threw for yeah, 112 yards or something like that. He made three high-quality touchdown passes in the deep red zone, which is the most difficult part of the field to complete passes down the field. In other words, in the end zone. He made three terrific passes. He deserves a lot of credit. He's playing at a much higher level this year. So they're three and five going into the bye week. They have to go to Buffalo. That's going to be a tough assignment. They didn't make a move during the trade deadline. Doesn't mean they didn't try to. They weren't blown away, evidently, by whatever was offered for guys like Jerry Judy, guys like Garrett Bowles. That's fine. But you always have to keep as an organization, the good organizations, an eye on, are you good enough to win it all with the with the current roster or are you in a position where you're trying to, you're always trying to get better, but you're trying to improve that roster. And regardless of this mini two-game winning streak, they barely got by a bad Green Bay team, you have to self-analyze in a in an appropriate way. They need a lot more talent to get back to the promised land. And one victory, albeit a great one, ends a run of eight years not beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Heck, Peyton Manning was a quarterback the last time they beat the Chiefs. It's a great win. But don't be deceived by where you are. And with the schedule remaining, they can have a good second half. But they should continue to do everything now that the trade deadline's passed, when you get toward that offseason, everything they can to keep improving that roster because it's not a championship roster uh, yet. But congrats to the Broncos. Good win. I was watching my Giants play this weekend, and you have to be a diehard fan. If you were a, if you were watching that Giant-Jet game, there had to be something wrong with you. I guess there's something wrong with me. So I'm watching that. It set football back like 50 years. It was friggin' awful. I mean, both defenses could have left the field for 20 minutes. I don't think the opposition offense would have scored. That's how bad it was. The Giants lost Tyrod Taylor, who's been playing the last uh, few weeks because Daniel Jones has a neck injury. And then he went down, Tyrod Taylor did with a rib injury, and they had to play a fellow by the name of Tommy DeVito. I'm sure the social media sites went nuts with the, they would have been better off with Danny DeVito at quarterback. Tommy DeVito and the giant offense that day, even when Tyrod Taylor was in there, threw for minus nine yards in the game. I've never heard of such a thing. They threw for negative nine yards in an NFL game. The point I'm warming to is not only just how bad that game was, ultimately won in overtime by the Jets, 13 to 10. And I was actually pleased because, you know, if you if the Giants aren't going anywhere this year and you hopefully get a, you know, a better pick and, and hopefully they don't screw it up. But going back to Tommy DeVito, I don't want to beat this guy up. He's in the National Football League. But isn't it incumbent on management, going back to management, to have your third-string quarterback, who the last couple of weeks has been your second-string quarterback, 
able to throw the football where you have enough trust in him to give him a portion of the playbook where you can advance the ball through the air, that you're not limited to running the wishbone, for God's sakes. How can that be? How can you be on an NFL roster as a quarterback and yet management and the coaching staff has not done enough with you or trust you enough to throw a forward pass? That's crazy. I keep saying one more note on the NFL. There have been upsets. The Chiefs, obviously, nobody saw them losing to the Broncos. The 49ers, as we speak, have lost three in a row. We've seen some up-and-down performances from teams that we consider to be elite. I still believe those teams, and you know who I'm talking about, are elite. I think it is very, very difficult. I know it is very, very difficult to play at an elite level emotionally for... 17 games. You hear that from players all the time. And and the proof of that is you have to go all the way back to the 72 Dolphins, the last time there was a perfect season. Even the Patriots, who came very close until the Giants beat them in the Super Bowl and ended their perfect season. It's impossible to play at that level week in and week out. And that's why you see some of these upsets and and we want to make probably a bigger deal out of it than we should. I know this much. I know that Kansas City, and you know this too, is still really, really good. Will they repeat as Super Bowl champions? I don't know, but they're going to be in the mix. Philadelphia, they were in the Super Bowl last year. They're really, really good. Even the Bengals, they got off to a slow start. Joe Burrow had the calf injury. They're rolling now. The 49ers have taken on water. They've lost three in a row. Oh, my goodness, is Brock Purdy uh, still the guy? The 49ers have way too much talent. The 49ers are going to be in the mix. You just are going to have some some dog performances with the length of the NFL season. wanted to get that off my chest. College football. Colorado loses to UCLA, and they get their um, locker room burglarized at some point while they were out on the field losing to the Bruins. How can that be, man? How can a locker room have access to somebody who did not belong in the locker room? Is there no security? Are there cameras in there, I would hope? I mean, people do go back to the locker room in the middle of the game. Sometimes it's a trainer. Sometimes it's an equipment guy. Sometimes a player's you know, got to go back there. They should be properly credentialed to get in and there should be proper security. How in the hell does that happen? That there's a theft inside a locker room. More on Colorado. Uh, their offensive line has struggled mightily at, at different points um, this season. I think a number of guys, I mean, most of the roster w- was run off by uh, Deion Sanders when he took over. And, I didn't always like the, the the verbiage that was used by Dion when he took over and, you know, comparing the luggage he was bringing. I got Louie coming and and you guys ain't Louie. Um, and, and the same thing in the aftermath. I, I, we've seen a lot of humility from, from Coach Prime the last couple of weeks, rightfully so. Um, 
I, I think there's a way of saying that we need to improve our offensive line. You can say flat out we need to improve our offensive line. You can say, hey, these guys are working hard. We're going to keep coaching them up hard, knowing that you are going to go out and try to improve that offensive line through the portal or through recruiting. That's pretty obvious. I don't think you need to fully state basically that these guys are garbage and we're replacing them. It's just not necessary. It's just not necessary. How about the Air Force Falcons? They beat Colorado State last weekend. Good game for a half. Then Air Force, it was tied 13-13. Air Force took off in the second half. I love Air Force. You got to love Air Force. All the military academies, they have to do so much more with, with less. And yet year in and year out, Troy Calhoun has Air Force as an excellent football team. Fisher DeBerry before Troy Calhoun, same deal, year in and year out. And this year, they're in the nation's top 25. With five games to go, they have a real shot at going clean. I think the last time they were 12-0. and 0. I hope I don't mess this up. I, Bart Weiss may have been their quarterback in the 80s. But anyhow, they have a great chance of going 12-0. and 0. If you look at the remaining schedule, they could play on New Year's Day. So, you know, tip your cap to what Troy Calhoun continues to do at the Air Force Academy. And they're playing, hey, they're playing in a power field against Army this weekend. How much fun is that going to be? Tremendous stuff. All right, back to baseball, back to part two of my conversation with the venerable skipper of the Rockies, Buddy Black. We continue our conversation about uh, what the Rockies have, where they need to improve, and uh, talking about some of the names in the game and It's always good catching up with Buddy and getting his take on a variety of subjects. So once again, this is part two of my conversation with the Rockies manager, Bud Black. I want to get a thumbnail sketch on a few guys that Rockies fans saw quite a bit of in September. And I'll begin here before I ask you specifically about individuals. I used to say, buddy, that the two months that lie the most are March because it's spring training and you don't know who guys are getting hits off of and some guy who hit 380 with seven bombs in, in March, it, it may not be as, uh, as glorious as it seems. And September, when the, when the rosters expanded um, and there were you know seven, eight, nine, ten extra guys uh, on the bench. That's no longer the case. So September doesn't lie. March may still mislead some some folks at times. So with that given, first of all, I, I assume you concur with that uh, synopsis. Yeah, I agree. I think the, especially this year when we played, you know, a number of teams uh, in the playoff hunt who were, uh, you know, positioning to either win the division or get a wild card uh, you know, there was a number of, of, of series against clubs that were very important, and uh, and our think and, and that's one of our conversations as a as a group of pitchers and hitters about uh, 
you know, making sure that we understood the uh, the ramifications of of, uh, of of these games and the intensity that I wanted our players to feel. You know, going going up against the Cubs, going up against the Diamondbacks, going up against uh, you know these clubs that were playoff bound or potentially playoff bound. Uh, it was good for our guys. So, you know, you're right. I mean, performance in this case in September, uh, you know, could be validated. Well, and, and taking that thought, watching, uh, I'll begin here, watching uh, Montero, Elaris Montero play the final six weeks, it seemed like he really took a, a significant step forward in consistency in finding barrels, in spitting on the slider away, and and the numbers, you know, support that. What did, what did the manager's eyes see? Yeah, you're right. I think with uh, Montero, uh, you know, it, it, he's one of those guys, Drew, that it's just going to take a little bit longer. But what we saw the last couple months was, was real, right? Uh, we didn't see it in, in April and May. Uh, we had to send him back to the minors. Uh, but when he came back, uh, you saw much better uh, swings on all pitches. You saw him catch up to high velocity. To your point, you saw him lay off the breaking ball. Uh, you saw the strikeouts decrease. You saw the average climb. You saw the ball go over the fence more. All the things you look for in a player that profiles like uh, Montero. So that was a, a big positive. And more comfortable at first base as well. So, you know, good for him. Uh, you know, he's, he's 25 years old. I mean, there's uh, – and he's a – and he still, for me, hasn't quite reached his maximum potential uh, physically. But uh, there were some good signs late for sure. Yeah. Uh, another kid who made – a splash certainly initially and then I don't know if it was the length of the season or, or, or major league pitching uh, and, and he tailed off at the end and, and didn't get as much playing time because of that but your thoughts on Hunter Goodman what you saw and um, and what he has shown in the minor leagues to uh, to look at him moving forward and, and where he potentially fits for you yeah with, with Hunter we saw a guy that came up uh, it was riding the crest of, of momentum, and he carried that into into big league at bats. Uh, you know, he has a knack to get the RBI. Uh, I think that's going to happen. To your point, he tailed off. He, he really did at the end. I think there was a little bit of a league adjustment uh, that happened uh, rather quickly. Uh, you know, especially with the breaking ball, and I've, I've maintained it. Uh, you know, over my career. Uh, in baseball, is that you know there's a there's a difference between a minor league breaking ball and a major league breaking ball, and he experienced that. Uh, but what we liked about Goodman is that uh, it's a it's a slow heartbeat. It's uh, it's power to the swing. Uh, I think there's a there's a there's an aptitude in there that's going to make adjustments. Uh, he realized it. You know, probably realized it a little bit too late. The season was over when he when he finally came to realize that hey, you know, that leg kicks maybe got to be you know quieted down a little bit. There's got to be 
you know, the understanding of how he's being pitched. I mean, all those things. That, you know, if, if the season would have continued, he would have figured out. I think that that's the thing that we like. I think he's a guy that is going to figure some things out. Some natural power stroke in there, uh, and that was, uh, you know, shown in the minor leagues with the, with the number of home runs he hit in the minors. Uh, and what, you know, what we liked about him, Drew, is that, you know, he was signed as a catcher, but you know, really move around the diamond. I think that we were impressed by, uh, you know, his overall play on defense in the outfield and at first base. So that's a, you know, his versatility is a plus. But, uh, you know, I think there's power in there. I think, you know, he he only had the one home run, and I think that bothered him a little bit too, right? He came to the big leagues hitting a lot of home runs in the minors. They didn't come quite as easy in the big leagues, but uh, I think that worked against him as well. He was trying to get homers, but... I think we have a I think we have a hitter on our hands there. Yeah, hey, buddy, it's got to be nice for you when you're on the top step of the dugout to have. I refer to it as two and a half catchers, um, especially if you have a good offensive catcher. And, and you used Elias on on the rare days that you would you know give him a break, and, and often wins would be behind the plate. You would have Elias at times, especially when he was going well, pinch hit for you late in the ball game. To have the the guy that okay, if we get an emergency, it's not Nafi Perez we're putting behind the plate. If you remember years ago with the Rockies having to put a shortstop back there in, in an emergency, you have a guy like Goodman who, yeah, he can go back there. Yeah, that's a, that's a uh, that's a a luxury uh, for for any team that has that for sure. And uh, Drew, it almost happened, you know, about a handful of times where. Uh, there was a couple of scenarios if they played out, uh, you know, to the positive that, that Goodman was going to get by the plate. And, and actually, we we're hoping to see it. Uh, it would have been, uh, you know, would have been great for, for all of us to have that happen. Because it would have meant that, uh, you know, Diaz got pinch ran for, or Diaz got a big hit to tie the game, and all those scenarios that would have, uh, you know, let Goodman get the game. So that is a luxury for. For those for those clubs that have that, to your point, two and a half catchers or three catchers. Yeah, I, w- I want to cover one more guy, buddy, that played for you late, and and he came back from injury. Uh, you know, similar to Brendan Rodgers, where it looked like he may miss the whole season. And to his credit, he rehabbed his tail off and and got back out there. And at the very end, maybe the last week or and a half, we saw from Sean Bouchard some of the things you saw. In September of 22 from Sean Bouchard, high on base, occasional pop, good A-B. What what were your thoughts on Bouchard? Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, the week that he had where he hit the, I believe he had three homers, uh, you know, hit well over 300, got on base. Uh, I mean, that was, uh, you know, something that, you know, we envisioned that he could do. Now, the trick will be to do it, you know, over the course of the year with with consistency. But uh, you know, coaches always say, Drew, if you if you if you've done it once, you can do it again. Now, uh, you know, that's a that's a nice player if if that shows up again through the whole year. And that was good to see from Sean because it was a it was a long road back. You know, the ruptured bicep took him a took him a while to bounce back from. Uh, he was a little bit longer than, than Brendan on his timeline, but 
you know, really happy for him. And, you know, what I like, Drew, uh, right now he's in Mexico playing, you know, continuing yep. to play to get his at-bats, uh, which shows, uh, you know, a desire and determination to, you know, continue on and not rest on his uh, laurels of the, of the last couple of weeks of the season. So uh, he's going to get more at-bats. Uh, he's going to, you know, continue to polish his game. Uh, but that was good to see uh, against some really, again, against, Good, good September pitching on on teams that were, you know, making a run. I, I got to ask you this, buddy, because when we talk about and, and you love all sports, and when we watch the NFL on Sundays and major college football on Saturdays, and you know, your your dad had a obviously a hockey background, and you know, we watch the NBA and and all these things. I I always tell people that it's amazing that. All of these guys you're watching, especially in the four major sports, they're the best in the world at what they do. They wouldn't be in the best league in the world if they were not. Yet even within that very small and finite group of these athletes, there's a different compete level with some of these guys. There's, you know, we, I guess Michael Jordan's like the, the, the greatest example, right? Um, and the reason I'm bringing this up, buddy, is... I spent a lot of time with Nolan Jones this year, and I just had him on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I love the kid. You love what he did. But the thing that stands out to me is this burning desire to be great and this burning desire to win. And I, if I notice it, heck, you you especially have to notice it. And I think the more guys you get like that, that's when you have the kind of environment you had with Kansas City when you were playing, it, et cetera. Sure, there, there's no doubt about it. I think, obviously, that, uh, you know, talent uh, is, uh, you know, needed to, to – if you look at, you look at the, uh, the playoff teams now, you go through their rosters, both on the mound and on the field, you see talent. But to your point, the separator of, of championship players, championship teams, are the number of guys that you have on your roster, uh, in your lineup, uh, you know, on the basketball court, on the football field, who truly care about winning and are egoless, who understand that championships are made because of the, you know, the, you know, what's, what you have inside, your heart, your guts, uh, you know, that is what makes the difference. And you mentioned Jordan, right? His competitive spirit. Uh, and there's, there's a, a Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you know, played to win. I mean, he truly played to win. And there, there are players like that in baseball. And I've been fortunate to, to play with some. And you, and you know it when you see it. And in regards to Nolan Jones, uh, you know, we just got to know him this spring when he came to, when he came to Scottsdale and just tried like heck to make, to make our team and, and worked as hard as anybody down there in Scottsdale. Uh, and it, 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 it worked against him. But when he came up after his time in Albuquerque and, uh, you know, we got to know him, uh, you know, I totally agree that uh, there's a component of him wanting to, to do well and succeed. 
but he wants us to win. He wants to do everything he can to win. And I know there was a couple games where, uh, you know, he felt he let us down, uh, you know, with his glove. Uh, and, you, and you could see the, uh, the, the despair that he had post-game. And it was real. It was genuine. And those are the guys you want, the guys who care about winning and losing. Uh, and the more guys you have like that, uh, the better chance you have to win a championship. Hey, buddy, I want to real quick change change gears on you a little bit. I want to ask you, uh, from a manager's standpoint, I look at the impact that you have and your brethren in the sport as more long-term. In other words, your impact is over a, a period of time from when you – first address your team in spring training and kind of set how the culture is going to be and your consistency every day in in the clubhouse and in your interactions with players behind the scenes as opposed to maybe in football where you go oh man you know he he out x and o'd out schemed the other coach or coaching staff on that sunday afternoon where that's not really the case in baseball, is that is that how you look at it? As much as you put into each game, but it's more your impact is over over months, not specific to one game. Uh, I agree, Drew. I think in in, in in football, you're 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 exactly right. I think that there are uh, you know the X's and O's are are pretty prevalent, right? They're they're right there in front of you. And your your play calling, both on offense and defense, I think can be, you know, obviously, uh, you know, looked at objectively. In, in baseball, uh, it's such a long haul that there is a, uh, you know, there is a rhythm uh, to a season. Uh, there is a, uh, to a certain extent, a, a rhythm in the playoffs that. You know, the manager and the coaching staff, you know, set the tone, you know, for the group. And, uh, you know, the veteran players on your team, uh, you know, set that tone as well. But for for those of us in baseball as, as managers, I think that, uh, you know, how uh, we respond probably in adversity is what uh, we pay the most attention to. The, uh, the sturdiness, the uh, taking the responsibility on our shoulders of, 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 a, of a valley of when things are going poorly and how, and how your team responds to those things, I think, are, 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 are critical. And, and keeping the team together, uh, keeping the, 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 the ship going in the right direction. And not veering way off course. There is a there is a steadiness in baseball that is required from leadership, and you know that's something that I talk to uh, about with other managers, and, and we've all to a, to a man think that that's the most critical thing that we can bring is our stability and our and uh, our consistency and who we are as leaders. Right, and everybody's different, right? Uh, you know, Dusty's different than Bochy. Bochy's different than, uh, you know, than Tori Lovello. And, you know, down the line of all of us who manage, and we have to do it our way. But, uh, 
over time, the, the good ones are are steady, consistent, dependable, and the players pick up on that. And I think players find, uh, you know, a, a focus and a relaxation and something in their leader who, who has that voice. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes because you know, in – the sport of baseball in particular, because it's day after day, you have some gut-wrenching losses, and man, you, you got to show up the next day, and, and and truly, as Clint used to say, shower well, and I've I've said to you privately, man, I man, you doing all right, and you always, you're amazing that way, I mean, I know they, the, the losses pain you, but you bounce back quickly, my man. Yeah, well, it, you know, I've been doing this a long time, Drew. You go back to, I remember, there was, I mean, going back to when I was 12 years old, I had a heartache in Little League, you know, a, a game we lost. Right? I mean, tough losses in, in, in high school, in college. Uh, but with that, I mean, there's been the joys of, you know, winning a high school state championship, uh, you know, a minor league state championship, a, a World Series winner. Uh, but along the way, there's there, there's heartache too, and you learn, uh, you know, how to deal with both and what it takes to, uh, you know, to understand truly what it takes to win. And uh, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to win. You ask any manager, uh, any head coach, and only coaches know, right, how hard it is. So, uh, but you know. I do the best I can to to make sure that that, that my group is remains uh, in a good spot. Yeah. Hey, buddy, one of the hot topics real quick was, uh, you know, there's always got to be a hot topic, right? In sports these days, there's so many talk shows, et cetera, um, that it's unfair to the division, the elite division winners, I guess you'd phrase it that way because, you know, the the top two division winners in baseball get a buy, and so they basically get five days off. Um, as to reason why some teams didn't advance, the Dodgers got swept as, as an example. Do you buy into that, or is that is that a media-created narrative? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't buy into it, Drew, uh, just because if you ask any manager, uh, would they rather have the, uh, the four days off or play in a two out of three? They're all we're all going to say, you know, I want the four days off. All of us will say that. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that. I think that it, it gives you, I mean, on the positive, it gives you a chance to to rest up. To get guys healthy, to exhale, and, and really prepare uh, to get after it when your series starts. And I, I just, I just think that's been a little bit overplayed. I think I'd have to go through every single postseason over the last couple of years to see how that's played out. But, but I would, uh, I think it's uh, more hyped up than than really what it needs to be. Yeah, I I actually uh, I I could not agree more. Uh, could not agree more. All right, buddy. So when I was growing up, which means it was when you were growing up, because we're relatively the same age. Uh, the back of the baseball card, uh, oftentimes in the upper right-handed corner, uh, 
had what that particular player did in their offseason. In other words, their not their offseason um, avocation. It was their offseason occupation because you had to make a few extra bucks. Uh, Richie Hebner was my favorite. He was a grave digger in the offseason. Buddy Black in the offseason between pitching for the Royals or the Giants or the or the, probably later on with the Giants, you didn't have to. Did you ever have an off-season um, gig that we need to know about? Uh, Drew, I was I was fortunate enough to to not have one once I got to the once I got to the major leagues. I was able to focus on just being a player. Uh, prior to uh, the major leagues, Drew, I went back, got my degree from San Diego State and started uh, uh, a coaching track uh, to potentially be a, uh, a college baseball coach. Uh, I, was, I was in the California uh, system to, you know, get all that accreditation uh, to become a college coach because at that time I was, in, I was in A ball. I did not know my future uh, as a player. But that was really the, the – the only time I had to think about, you know, what life was going to be like if I didn't, uh, if I didn't advance in baseball. Was there any of your teammates or somebody you heard of, and you came out with? They did what in the off season? <laughs> did you have any of those? Well, I, there was a couple guys early on that uh, they drove a UPS truck. They were UPS drivers. I thought that was I thought that was unique. Yeah, uh, you know, guy putting on the guy putting on the brown. Yeah, uh, you know that was in the eighties. There were uh, you know guys were uh, one of uh, a roommate of mine, Pat Sheridan, who who ended up having a nice major career uh, early on. Uh, he worked in insurance, and I think post career he was part of an insurance company. So. Uh, you know that was uh, you know that was a unique one for me. Pat got into insurance, but but no grave diggers. Richie Hebner had that market cornered. Yeah, Richie had the corner on that one. That was You're great. Right. Richie Hebner, yeah, he was great, and what a great stance. Loved his batting oh, stance. Wide open, man. <laughs> he could hit too. Yeah, he could hit. He was uh, he was a he was you know he was a, a very good complimentary player on those good pirate teams. Yes, yes, indeed, buddy. Um, so you're you're heading down the road to the Arizona Fall League as we speak, huh? Uh, yes, uh, I'm going to see a number of our our players group. Uh, looking forward to see Benny Montgomery, Jaden Hill, uh, Sterling Thompson, Drew Romo, uh, Case Williams, Chris McMahon, and uh, Drew. There's great talent down here, uh, as you know. Most teams send a lot of their prospects here, so. You know, I'll be able to, to see some players here over the next few days. Uh, Billy Smith's coming down. I'm going to see Billy. A couple of our pro scouts uh, will be in attendance with me. So uh, the baseball never stops. Uh, it stopped for a couple days when the season ended, but, it, but it's picked right back up for, for us. Good deal. Well, buddy, I'll let you uh, focus on the highway. Um, you're off grandpa duties for, for a couple of days. And, uh, I hope all those guys you're going to watch, uh, continue their ascent toward, uh, being in your dugout in the not too distant future. All right, Drew. Always, uh, 
Always a blast talking baseball with you. All right, brother. Be well and uh, stay safe, and, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. Stay true. Well, big thanks to to Buddy Black, and I think if you've listened to the last uh, couple of shows and and you see where Buddy is optimistic about uh, some players, naturally there's more coming, and you see where the Rockies are building. And you also see a guy that has followed baseball forever, and he's watching closely what has gone on in the postseason, and he's abundantly aware of of what we chatted about earlier, the fact that there are teams that were competing for a world championship that are very recently um, not, I should say, let me do this segment again, Marky, I apologize. Big thanks again to a Buddy. He's uh, always great to visit with. And if you caught the last couple of episodes, I, I think it gives you a little bounce in your step uh, about where the Rockies are going, some of the guys that you watched uh, play this year, and uh, their opportunity to continue to not only get better, but uh, to restart them in this game. And some more guys that are on their way. And I also think for Bud, who's you know watching very closely, uh, working in the sport when he sees what Texas has done, what Arizona's done, a team that the Rockies see all the time, uh, that, that you you don't have to have a a long uh, type of turnaround. And, you know, he addressed that in our conversation as well. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to Buddy again when we get uh, a little closer to uh, spring training. Speaking of some young future Rockies, the Arizona Fall League is taking place. I think it goes on for about six weeks. Uh, for those that don't know, it's typically uh, the top prospects in baseball, guys that have established themselves as such, playing for, as I said, about six weeks down in Arizona. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I think it was Carter. I think Carter uh, with Texas was just playing uh, not too long ago in, in the Arizona Fall League. Jordan Lawler, who didn't play for Arizona in the World Series, but was on their roster. He's one of the top prospects in baseball, a former uh, high first-round pick. Um, he last year was playing in the Arizona Fall League, and and now he's on a, a big league, not only a big league roster, but was playing uh, in the World Series. So for the Rockies, a couple of notable names. Sterling Thompson was a first-round pick out of Florida. He can really swing the bat. He did uh, this year in, in high A, and he continued to swing it in Hartford this year. Sterling Thompson, right now in the Arizona Fall League through 18 games, uh, as we tape, he has a 958 OPS, 348 batting average, eight extra base hits, uh, again, in 18 ball games. Benny Montgomery, the uh, Pennsylvania high school kid who was a number one pick, he has a 933 OPS, couple home runs, 11 driven in, 343 average. Those guys are going to be big leaguers. Those guys, hopefully, are going to be prominent big leaguers. I'm really excited about Thompson. He has a he has a really good hit tool. Uh, so uh, those are a couple of position players really doing well in the Arizona Fall League. Case Williams out of Douglas County High School, who was uh, drafted by the Rockies, then traded to Cincinnati. The Rockies got him back so far. He's pitched to a 238 earned run average down in the Arizona Fall League. And a couple of guys are getting uh, extra at-bats in winter ball. Sean Bouchard, who finished so strong this year uh, after having to sit out for about five months with the uh, bicep tendon 
rupture that he suffered in spring training, and Michael Tolia also playing down in Mexico, and he's hit a few home runs down there already. Bouchard uh, continues to get on base at uh, a high clip, as he's done in two brief stints in the big leagues, one last year and one this year. Before we uh, bid you farewell this uh, week, news came down earlier today of the passing of Bobby Knight, the three-time national champion at uh, Indiana, who did not leave the game without controversy, as you know, but uh, he passed today at 83. And my and my thoughts on Bobby Knight, if you were someone that could play for him, and I don't think every athlete, every basketball player that was elite could play for him, you had to have a real thick skin <laughs> to play for Bobby Knight. But in reading some of the tributes to Bobby from his former players who would know far better than people on the outside, you know, who he was. Uh, And I'm talking about guys like Quinn Buckner, guys like Isaiah Thomas, guys like Mike Woodson, the current Indiana Hoosier basketball coach. I mean, they sung his praises, not only as clearly a great basketball coach, that's undeniable, but also the friend he was, the mentor he was during and after and long after those guys left Bloomington, Indiana. And I think that speaks volumes about Bobby Knight, and that's quite a legacy as well. There was controversy, and you can't take that away when you discuss the ultimate biography of Bobby Knight, but he was one of the most impactful basketball coaches of all time, really one of the most impactful coaches, period, in major sports in the last 75 years. Bobby Knight gone at uh, 83. That'll do it for this edition of our little podcast. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'll do it again in seven days. Big shout-out again to Marky uh, for all he does. And uh, stay safe, stay well. Fantasy Camp next week. That's right. Be down in uh, in Arizona at Fantasy Camp. And uh, look forward to that. Oh, quick shout-out to the Avs as we tape this uh, late on a uh, Wednesday night. Avalanche with a a nice victory over the St. Louis Blues. Bounce back victory after being shut out in back-to-back games. So they improved to 7-2 on the season. Talk to you in seven, folks. Take care.